Good morning. That was, that was good, Eric. Thank you. Today I'm trying out some new tech. See if it, uh, hopefully, if it works, it won't be a distraction for you or me. It's, it's magnety. That's awesome. What is it? It's just an iPad with a case, but the case is magnety, so I can, like, I could, I could, like, well, we won't try that. <laughs> just kidding. Ah. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Well, good morning. Uh, man, so many, <laughs> lots of stuff just always floating around on Sunday mornings here at New Covenant, you know. There's things happening in worship, things happening after worship, things. Um, you want to stay sensitive to the, to the Holy Spirit. And I was even struggling this week a little just you know, where, where do you want me to focus, Lord? And, um, you know, today, I, did we, do we somehow do something with the revival stuff? You know, it's, it's really, there's just a lot of different things God's doing in the spirit and um, discerning that is um, not always the easiest, so. I feel like what the Lord wanted me to do today is just to kind of press into some of this stuff again, going into my journey of last summer, and I think I'm going to talk about some things today that are going to really touch on some issues in our hearts, um, you know, as we kind of are on the, we'd like to, I, I want to believe we're on the precipice of revival, and we've wanted revival for many years, and I'm Lynn's words are ringing in my ears from a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the the things that we've been striving for. I don't think that was the word he used. I, I don't remember exactly, but there was just going to be like some suddenlies, you know, some some just came to pass. Yeah, that was the term he used. And and I'm just, I'm looking forward to those that came to pass moments, you know. And I think revival is definitely one of those I really hope and pray that it comes to pass in my time, in my generation. I'm sure many of you are tracking with the Asbury Revival, and you, there's, you know, they've decided how they're going to shift it and do some things, but it's, it's, um, it's popping up in different places, and dear God, let it happen here. Amen. Just let it happen here. Your, the, the ch- your church, God, in Newcastle needs to be revived. There's so much compromise in your people, God. I just pray, Father, that you would revive my heart. Because I even confess, God, how easy it's to get apathetic. Just to say, oh, well, we'll see. And I don't want to just, we'll see. I want to see. God, I've, I've heard of the good. But let my eyes see it, God. Let us see it in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, I wanna, I'm going to dive into some more areas of my journey that I went through this, this summer. And today, I really, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about fighting fear. I want to talk about combating fear. I want to talk about fighting anxiety, panic attacks, 
You know, today I want to fight back against something that is so pervasive in our culture. You know, I want to have compassion for the people who suffer from fear and anxiety and panic attacks. But I also, as we hold that compassion, I also want to remind us that this is not our normal as the people of God. It is not God's plan for our lives to be anxious-ridden, to be fearful, to be panicky, to be depressed. But God is so compassionate with our situation, and he wants to walk us right out of the valley of the shadow of death. Because where God's leading us, he is leading us into green pastures. He is leading us into calm waters. And so as we think about this today, I'm reminding myself and I want to remind you, everyone deals with some form of fear. Everyone deals with some form of anxiety. The question isn't, do I have it? The question is, will I let God have it? You know, there's been a lot of, And again, because fear and anxiety has been around for millennia, lots of poets and writers have tried to put words to the experience of even what a panic attack is like. Uh, One gal, her name's Andrea Gibson, she wrote in her poem, an ode to a public panic attack. And part of what she says of that is a panic attack is your heart giving your sternum a high five 50 times a second. (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. You know, a panic attack is a sensation that's so overwhelming that many people can actually mistake it for a heart attack, a stroke, or some other kind of life-threatening crisis. And even though panic attacks don't cause long-term physical harm, afterwards, the fear of another attack can actually limit our daily lives and actually cause more panic attacks. In fact, studies are showing us that about a third of us are going to experience at least one panic attack in our lives. And whether it's your first or your hundredth or you're just witnessing someone go through one, no one ever wants to repeat the experience. And even learning about them, even hearing when we talk about it can be uncomfortable because we just, we don't like fear. We hate it. But It's important that we do this. It's necessary that we talk about these things because one of the steps in preventing panic attacks is understanding them and how they happen. And so I'm going to describe what a panic attack is. So, And some of you who have experienced a panic attack, you will agree that I am right on the target. Some of you may be triggered by me even describing a panic attack. So if you feel, if you're in here today, And if you feel like hearing me talk about a panic attack is too much for you, then feel free to go take a restroom break right now. Go get some water, um, and you can come back when I'm finished. I'll give you a moment to move about if that's you. Tell some jokes, maybe. Why did the tomato turn red? Because it saw the salad dressing. What do you get when you cross a snowman and a shark? Frostbite. 
Why don't scientists trust atoms? Because they make up everything. So what did the left eye say to the right eye? Between us, something smells. What do you call a boomerang that doesn't come back? A stick. What do you call fake spaghetti? Impasta. And what do you call a gummy bear with no teeth? Oh, I already gave you the punchline. It's, it's a gummy bear. Darn it. Gummy and bear were too close. All right. Why couldn't the bicycle stand up by itself? Because it was too tired. What did the grape say when it got stepped on? Nothing. Just let out a little wine. Why did the chicken cross the playground? To get to the other slide. What kind of car did the disciples drive? A Honda, because they all came in one accord. Okay, I'll skip ahead. What kind of man was Boaz before he got married? Ruthless. Okay, there you go. Get some neuron, get some dopamine popping, so as we talk about some stuff here. All right, so a panic attack. I shared with you guys a few weeks ago that I experienced a bunch of that at the beginning of my sabbatical. A lot of you have never had one, so I'm just going to try to give you just a quick overview of what it is and what's going on when someone experiences a panic attack. Because a panic attack is, basically it is an overreaction to the body's normal physiological response to the perception of danger. And so this response, it starts in the amygdala, uh, which is the brain region that's involved in processing fear. And when the amygdala perceives danger, it stimulates the sympathetic nervous system which triggers a release of adrenaline. And adrenaline provokes an increase in heart rate and the breathing rate in order to get blood and oxygen to the muscles of the arms and legs. Now, this also, when this happens, is it sends a lot of extra oxygen to the brain, which makes it more alert and more responsive. So during a panic attack, this response gets exaggerated well past what would actually be useful in any kind of a real dangerous situation. And it gets exaggerated when it causes a racing heart and heavy breathing or even hyperventilation. And the changes in blood flow can actually cause lightheadedness and numbness in your hands and your feet. Usually a panic attack lasts about 10 minutes. And then something else happens. Then the prefrontal cortex takes over from the amygdala and starts to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. And so this triggers the release of a hormone called acetylcholine. 
which is designed to decrease the heart rate and gradually wind down the panic attack. So in a panic panic attack, the body's perception of danger just becomes enough, just the perception of it to trigger that response that we would have normally had to a real threat and then some. Now, science doesn't fully understand why this happens, but some things, some, sometimes things in our environment can remind us of a traumatic past experience, and it can trigger a panic attack. Panic attacks can be a part of things like anxiety disorders like PTSD or social anxiety disorder, OCD, generalized anxiety disorder. So when a person has reoccurring panic attacks, it can actually make it worse because you start worrying about having more panic attacks. In other words, you have fear and panic attacks about the possibility of experiencing more fear and more panic attacks. And in some cases of severe anxiety and panic disorder, a person can experience even agoraphobia, which is the fear of going outside. Fear of large spaces. Now, regardless if we have a big or small panic attack, the important thing to know is that a panic attack is not fatal. Okay? No real damage is being done to your body. That's what I want you to know because when I was going through mine, I was like, I'm going to die. When you go through one, you think, I'm going to die. This is how God's going to let me die can't believe it's going to happen this way. It's not a heart attack. You're not having a heart attack. You're not going to die. It is just your body overreacting to the overload of what you perceive as a threat in your life. In fact, the way that our body uh, experiences a panic attack is really not much different than if you had just ran a mile at full speed, right? What is different is how you perceive what is happening and how you deal with it. Not every panic attack comes from some kind of threat or perceived danger even. Sometimes a panic attack can seemingly come out of nowhere. Many times these surprise panic attacks are the buildup of months and possibly years of stress, past trauma, Emotional depletion, poor mental, poor physical health. For instance, a guy, his name's Wayne Cordero. He is a Foursquare pastor out in Hawaii. And he pastors a 5,000-member church. And he wrote in his book, Leading on Empty, about his experience with his own emotional meltdown. And he says this, he says, It was a balmy California evening, I had gone for a jog before I was to speak at a leadership conference. I still can't recall how I got there, but I found myself sitting on a curb, weeping uncontrollably. I couldn't tell if it took place suddenly or gradually, but I knew something had broken inside. I remember lifting my trembling hands and asking out loud, what in the world is happening to me? Now, Wayne goes on in his book to say that it was at that moment that started him on a three-year journey through burnout, 
and recalibration of his life and his ministry. He talks about going and seeing his doctor and hearing from his doctor that his serotonin levels were gone. And his doctor recommended a year-long break to get his serotonin levels back online. <clears throat> but Wayne never saw it coming. He didn't notice the signs of his meltdown was on its way. It just caught him off guard. Another guy, Brian Johnson, who is the founder and the Bethel Worship music label. In his book, When God Becomes Real, he wrote this. He said, this is how it started. Some invisible hand reached in, grabbed my lungs, and squeezed. The pressure settled across my chest, then my shoulders. My hands began to shake. The air thinned. My fear thickened. I raised my arms over my head, locked my fingers, and tried to catch my breath. What is this? I looked at the river, then I looked around the area until I laid eyes on him. There was my son, Braden, turning over rocks and looking under logs. He was lizard hunting, just like my brother Eric and I did when we were his age. Eyes squinting in the sun, mud splotches up to his shins. He was having the time of his life and had no idea that some invisible force was creeping up on me. Something was very wrong. Braden's hand shot under a log, and he pulled out a lizard. He turned and held his fist in the air, yelling, I got him, Dad. I did my best to smile back and wave, but the invisible walls were already closing in, even in the wide open spaces by the river. I took a deep breath and tried to hold those walls back, and that was when the surge of adrenaline rushed in. The spiral was unfamiliar, not like the episodes of panic that I had had through my childhood. This was different. Why can't I breathe? Braden turned back to the hunt for another lizard, and I closed my eyes, rubbed my hands on my shorts as the July heat just seemed to magnify what was happening inside of me. More weight settled in, and something like terror came with it. My breath drew shorter and shorter, and I tried not to hyperventilate. I opened my eyes, and all I could see were the stars from the lack of oxygen. The sun shone on the surface of the Sacramento River in the distance, and it grew whiter and whiter until I was nearly blinded. I closed my eyes again, tried to take another breath, but I felt like my, my lungs lost another inch. The invisible fist tightened and the weight on my chest doubled. This is the anatomy of a crash. If you really want to understand my breakdown, I encourage you to read this book. Get this book by Brian Johnson. This book so very well describes my experience with my breakdown some of the things that contributed to it. I mean, it's just about my story, minus, minus the successful parts, like the record label and <laughs> writing songs the whole world sings, you know, <laughs> traveling the globe. <laughs> Apart from that, <laughs> it's really me. <laughs> but my point with Brian's story is that his crash caught him off guard as well. A panic attack can happen without warning, no matter 
how great you think you have it all together. So fear, anxiety, depression, these are not just modern problems. We have many examples in the Bible as well. One guy in particular, Elijah. Elijah had his own experience with fear and anxiety and depression. In fact, we can read his story in 1 Kings chapter 18. And we read here in, in that chapter, we read this, this fiery-eyed, backwoods prophet confronted and defeated and utterly destroyed 850 cultic priests of Baal and Asherah who were bent on leeching away Israel's devotion to God. And when we read, it talks about there was a trial by fire and the God of Elijah prevailed. However, the story takes an odd twist. And I don't know what Elijah was thinking, you know, at this point. Maybe he thought that Ahab and the vixen of Sidon, Queen Jezebel, were going to applaud him for wiping out Samaria's state religion. I, I don't know. I don't know what was going through his heart. But we've got this once bold and unflinching prophet, and now he's being blindsided by Jezebel's rage. And he is suddenly scared spitless by her demonic and venomous message. 1 Kings 19.2, it says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. What did Elijah do? Call down fire again? No, he didn't. He ran like a little chicken. He panicked. And he fled to the secluded hiding place way out in the wilderness. And it was there where he was exhausted and alone that he decided a quick death would actually be preferable to living the rest of his life as a fugitive. In fact, he prays in verse 4. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Wow. Wow. There's another guy we know about, Moses. He suffered too. In fact, when he was leading the people of Israel through the desert, the people started grumbling and complaining and backbiting. And so this this once daring leader who who saw the burning bush at Mount Horeb and he saw the glory of God's backside at Mount Sinai, that guy, out of those two experiences which gave him the courage to confront Pharaoh of Egypt, that guy became so exasperated and so discouraged by people problems, he was so depressed and so hopeless that he cried out to God in Numbers 11. And he says this in verse 14, he says, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. This is how you intend to treat me? Just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. That's a depressed guy. He preferred death over continuing in his dire and miserable circumstances. Another guy, King David. He's another example. He definitely experienced depression, fear, and anxiety. And you know, when you... When you really start to read the Psalms and 
you start to read David's life, maybe you've noticed this. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it feels like David might be just a little bipolar? But David, one thing he does, he does an excellent job of describing what a panic attack feels like. And he does it in Psalm 55, verse 4. He says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah, just think about that. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. Tempest. Now sometimes, sometimes when we read the Bible, and again, maybe you're like me, I think sometimes when we read these passages, we read it, and the voice in your head is more like an overdramatized version of a Shakespearean play. You know? We're like, oh, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death are upon me. Oh, horror. Is that the voice in your head? No? Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and find rest. Yes, I would wander far away. Lodge in the wilderness, so I would hurry and find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. When we read stuff like this, we don't get to actually see David. We don't get to see his anguish. We don't get to see his horror. He said horror. Sometimes we read this stuff, I think we go, oh, David, you're just a big baby. Oh, is it really that bad? Really? We lose the intensity of what he and others have actually gone through. When we don't hear the pain and the suffering in their voice, we tend to blow it over and think, ah, he's just, he's just having a bad day. He'll get over it. Just read the next psalm. See, he's okay. And you know the same is true for us when we never experience a panic attack or have sat with someone going through one. We tend to gloss over their pain and suffering too. Maybe even judge it. I know I have. Took my own breakdown to see the pain that others have gone through. To change my judgment into compassion and into kindness. So what I want to talk about is I want to talk about some important areas that, are in, that have been in my life and they've probably been in your life that are some of the root issues behind anxiety, fear, and depression. Now, this isn't all of the issues, but they are some of the big ones. And the first and probably the foremost issue that I'm addressing, I've had to address, I continue to address, I think you're going to have to address, is the safety of love. The safety of love being experienced in your heart and in your life. 
And I'm not talking about do you know in your head that you're loved. I'm saying, do you possess that experience in your heart and in your life? So in our journey to overcome anxiety, this is one of the most important issues to address because this also reveals the greatest areas of where love is really missing in our life. Show me your anxiety, and that is a neon sign pointing to a place where love needs to have a deeper work. Wherever you have anxiety, that is a sign pointing to this is where love needs to work. 1 John 4.18 lays out a battle plan for us of healing. It says there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So wherever anxiety is, we need to become more aware of safety because that's what love brings to us. Love brings us safety. When you're feeling anxiety, what is needed in your life is a greater sense of I am safe and I am safe in the love of God. We need to experience the love of the Father, which is what Jesus ministered to us. It is what Christ revealed to us. So when it comes to dealing with anxiety, we first start with, do I feel safe? With God. And for many believers, we have got to renew our lens of how we even see God. Because we can feel, we can feel that that the fear is coming. And when we feel it, many times we think it's coming from God. Why? Because we think He's angry with us. He's mad. He's sad. What we need is a journey of recognizing the love that John is pointing to. Love really is the antidote because fear involves torment and it involves punishment. And anxiety gets fueled by that kind of fear. So every area of our life that has anxiety is an area that needs to have love do a much deeper work. So number one issue is feeling safe with God and connecting to that love in your heart, knowing that he loves you. And then we add to that being able to also love yourself. Do you see yourself through love? Are you kind to yourself even when you're having an anxiety episode or a panic attack? Do you approach yourself with hostility like I have? Do you beat yourself up? Do you think, why haven't I hurried up and gotten over this by now? Why am I still struggling with this stuff? All that thinking is revealing a need for love to have a deeper work in your heart. 
Are you able to process love in relationship? Are you able to give and receive love? Are you able to allow others to love you? And this is important because many times people will say, uh, you know, when talking about someone who's dealing with fear or anxiety, and they'll say something like, they're just surrounded by people who love them. You know, they are surrounded by people that have so much love for them. Well, it's not so much that they have a lot of people loving them. What it has to do with is their capacity. Do they have the capacity and the ability to receive love when it's given? Because there are so many of us who have this inner torment of of self-loathing, self-hate, self-rejection, self-contempt, shame. And that makes us it makes it so hard to receive love when it's actually being given to them. My wife's always reminding me how many people love me. And I'm like, really? Are you sure about that? <laughs> so being intentional and learning to receive love from God, learning to love myself, learning to give and receive love in relationship is so important to dealing with these issues. Because when we, we, when we allow love to manifest in our life, then God's very nature begins to heal us. That's really the key issue. So when we see and we feel anxiety swelling and growing in our heart, this is a cry for love like none other. Second area, unaddressed, unprocessed pain. And when I say pain, it can also mean emptiness. Because there's two kinds of pain. There's the pain of things that have happened to you that were hard, that were hurtful, that were difficult. And then there's the pain of things that didn't happen as they should. You were left empty of certain things. You were uh, overlooked, excluded. There were certain needs, core needs that you had that were not met. Neglect. And so it's those areas that are unprocessed, meaning you haven't identified and worked through them yet. These areas are now the stuff that's just settling in your system. And then what happens is we have spikes of anxiety. And we often say things like, I don't know what's going on. Where's this even coming from? Well, many times we're not aware that this pain in our life, which means we haven't worked on it, we haven't worked through it. We haven't processed it with God. Psalm 34 says that I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Now, this deliverance, 
It's not a snap of the finger. God is preparing us for a journey for us to walk with him layer by layer. And then in verse 18, he says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near those who have a broken heart. He's near those who have a crushed or contrite or a broken spirit. So we have to recognize anxiety gets fueled in the areas of brokenness in our life. Areas of hurt and pain. So when we struggle with anxiety, we need to ask ourselves, where in my life do I have a broken heart? You know, because we like to believe, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm good, I'm fine. It's those other people, they're the broken ones. Go ask them those questions. Wherever love is not being experienced in our life, brokenness is going to manifest. So these two first issues, safety of love and unprocessed pain, these really are about ground zero for where anxiety, fear, this is ground zero where we need greater healing and freedom in our life. Another issue that contributes to anxiety is a fast-paced life. You know, what we typically do, especially in this modern culture, is we ramp up our busyness in life to the level of intensity that's going on in the world around us. And that intensity becomes a place where anxiety lives. So let's say you hear what I'm saying and you go, yeah, I think I'll, I do need to slow down. You decide to slow down. Well, let me prepare you for something because here's what happens sometimes. People begin to slow down and then they say something like, as I started to slow down, my anxieties increased. Well, those anxieties were actually always there. It's just that your life was so busy and so noisy, you never paid attention. Now that you've slowed down, you're starting to become aware of those anxieties and, and that they've actually been there for a long time. In fact, that's why I kept myself so busy. So a fast-paced life is going to hinder you from being able to heal. It will hinder you from being able to process and, and your ability to experience greater freedom in your life and in your journey. Hebrews 4 gives us a roadmap again of how to lead a life of rest. And it says in verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So that means there's a rest that's available for us. We can live with an internal capacity of rest in our life. So when we slow down and rest, we're, we're, we're ceasing from the pressure of work and striving that we're constantly living in. So do you find yourself thinking, you know what? 
My lifestyle is just not helping me when it comes to anxiety. I need to deal with my lifestyle. I need to deal with the overbooked, double booked, overexerted, overachieving lifestyle that I have created for myself. This next one is another heavy anxiety feeder, and it's called pressure. Living under the weight of pressure. Maybe you feel pressure from God. Maybe you've got a guilt-based relationship with God. Where you're always thinking that he's using guilt on you. And that guilt is designed to get you motivated because you're lazy. You're selfish. So let's feel some guilt. God's going to let that guilt come so that there's real pressure on you. You know, the, the kind of pressure that you feel that I'm not doing enough. Right? I'm not doing enough Bible reading. I'm not doing enough praying. I need to be with more people. I need to help others more. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And then there's the internal pressures that we're always putting on ourselves. You know, I've, for me, I've had such high standards that can cause this highly pressurized areas in my life. I struggle with an all or nothing mentality. Everything's black and white. No room for process. Some of you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Things have to be just right in order to feel better about yourself. In order to feel better about others. And we're just chasing and spinning that world of self-pressure. And that world breeds anxiety. Maybe you feel pressure from people in relationships where they're asking things of you or or they're demanding things of you or they expect certain things from you. And that's constantly chipping away, chipping away at you. Well, there's two antidotes to this. One is Matthew 11, 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, what anxiety will do to you is it will wear you out. And it will leave you with this heavy laden burden with a lot of stuff. And it's just weighing you down and it's just pressurizing you. And Jesus said, I will give you rest. So God is wanting us to do an exchange. He is wanting to take our yoke that we've put on ourselves and trade it for the yoke of Christ. Because Jesus said, come and learn from me. And if you will come and learn from me, you will find rest for your soul. Because my burden, the burden of Jesus, it's an easy one and it's a light one. And Jesus is passionate about helping people experience freedom when these areas of pressure show up in our life. God is not a God of pressure. 
In fact, let's just say that together. God is not a God of pressure. One more time. God is not a God of pressure. God's not pressurizing you. You know why? Because when we put pressure on someone, we're manipulating them. And God's never going to manipulate you. Everything God wants to do in your life is an invitation. He's always inviting you. That's different than the pressure cooker that we all many times are living in. And we have to learn how to release the pressure valves in our life. Some of them will be new decisions, new lifestyle choices, new directions. And I promise you, we need to move into new mindsets to enter into the yoke of Christ. The second antidote is in Peter. He gives us an exhortation in verse uh, 5, 7. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Part of being released from pressure is learning to cast off those cares. Cares are those important areas of our heart that get our attention. But if we don't learn to give them over to God, they'll become ensnared by fear. They'll become ensnared by anxiety. They can become ensnared by obsessiveness, by panic attacks, health issues. They can be uh, ensnared in phobic kinds of patterns of thinking and living. So first Peter is telling us, cast those cares. Don't hold on to them. Cast them to God. And then keep doing it because here's why. Many times when we cast our cares, we take them right back up. So go ahead, cast it again. Because God knows we have a tendency to take things back. Just kidding. This is mine. And when we take our cares back, that's going to fuel anxiety. Now, this next one is very, very important. And I think it's something we can all work on, and that is a fear-based worldview. Meaning that in general, we tend to see our world and our life through the lens of fear. We think the darkness and negativity in the world are not going to get any better in our lifetime. We live with doom and gloom thinking, And we think about the end times and we go, it's all terrible. We think about how bad things are getting and they're just getting worse. And what that thinking does, that continual thinking like that, it empowers a fear-based mindset. When you wake up in the morning and the first thing you have is dread. Done that? And then the rest of your day, dread. That's primarily us responding to fear in our life. Living and listening to fear creates a fear-based worldview. And the answer to this is in 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, our anxiety is not from him. What God is giving us is power 
He's given us love. He's given us a sound mind. That's who we are as a people. This is our identity. People of power, people of love, people of a sound mind. So ask yourself the questions, are my thoughts increasing power? Are your thoughts increasing soundness in your thinking? If you notice what fear is doing, it's trapping us. It's pushing us back. It's keeping us stuck. It's keeping us tormented. It's keeping us spinning and keeping us double-minded. Keeping us from taking steps forward. It's keeping, it's hesi- we're hesitating. We're procrastinating. We're projecting worry, obsessing over everything. And Paul is telling Timothy and he's telling us, God is not giving you that kind of a spirit. You don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. And 2 Timothy and 1 John, they work together in tandem. Because here's what happens. God's love casts out fear. And then God's love pulls in power. And more love. And more soundness of thinking. So that there's a deeper work happening in our lives. Get it out, bring it in. It's not just get it out and I'm empty. Fear goes, power, love, sound mind come in. Psalm 91 is a great place too because it reveals to us that God is our place of refuge. He's a place that you and I can rest in. You can take comfort in him. So that you don't have to be afraid of the threats that come by day or the threats or the threats of fear that want to come by night. We don't have to be afraid of what face puke tells us. What's going on in the world? Insta sham. Twister. No. God says we don't have to fall into any of those traps. The Father wants to be a real presence of love in our life he wants to be a refuge for us in our life so when you look at these areas which ones do you need to work on if you're like me all of them apply in some way so here's what I recommend I recommend you Start working on the first one specifically. And then pick one more to focus on. Don't try to be super cool and then do it all. Don't, I'm going to fix them all. I'm going to take them all. I'm going to get it all done to this week, Tom. I'm, I'm a good learner. Don't do that. That's pressure. God doesn't need you to be perfect at getting healing. He just wants your heart to fall in love with his. He wants you to be safe in his arms. So here's your action plan for this week. I want you to identify the areas of your life where you don't feel safe. And then invite God to reveal his healing love into those areas. Once you do that, then I want you to identify another problem area and invite the Father to gently show you what are some root issues that need his healing touch. 
Next is I want you to sign up for some emotional healing to get a jump start on this. You can go to our website for that. Fill out a request form and it will be an amazing way for you to get started in some of those issues. And then our reading assignment for this week is Acts 11. Please do your hear journal. Do Alexio Divina on that. Memorize Psalm 51 verse 10. So let's just stand for a moment. Just, just put your hands out. Just lift them up. Do whatever. Just get them out there to, to like, I'm, I need something from you, God. God, we all need you. We need so much from you, God. We are so needy and helpless. And we make such a mess of things when we're not in tune with you, God. And so, Father, today I just pray for us that we would be a people who conquer fear, who conquer anxiety, who are able to put panic attacks in our past for good. God, I pray today that the spirit of your love flow in us, pushing out the fear and pulling in power, more love, sound mind. Today, God, help us to walk and run into you as a refuge. I'm asking, God, that this this issue of fear and anxiety that's kept us paralyzed from moving into the things of God, from being afraid to take risks, Afraid to step out in the Lord. Break it, God, in the name of Jesus. We surrender, God. We just just give up. We just give up. And we surrender. And we say, today, have your way in us, God. Have your way. Because your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. To walk with us, God, show us this week where those areas in our life where we have not felt safety and show us your love. How how do you want to heal those areas where we've not felt safe, God? So I pray today, God, that your spirit, the spirit of revival would revive us that that spirit of revival would follow us right into work on Monday morning, follow, follow us right into school Monday morning. God, that is where the revival needs to go. So, Father, we release it. God, we receive it, and then we're going to release it in Jesus' name. We love you, Father. You are more than enough for us. Today we bless, we bless, we bless your holy name. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.